This is a Federal News Network podcast. As the General Services Administration reaches 70 years in business, we've been exploring what that means for the agency whose main customer is the federal government itself. Continuing in our series, GSA at 70, and to gain some long-term perspective, I spoke with a 32-year employee. We started with how acquisition looked back then. Here's the acting deputy commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, Tom Howder. Well, when I, when I first started, it was much more uh, prescribed. Uh, we focused much more on commodities. Uh, we really were not focused as much on the customer as we were today. Uh, we didn't have the same level of variety and choice that were available to our clients uh, we were also in a much more paper-based environment back in those days. Uh, we didn't have access to the Internet. So if somebody wanted to look at a catalog, they literally had to get a paper catalog and go through that. They may have to go through dozens of those as they looked at the catalogs of all the different vendors at those times. Uh, since then, of course, we've evolved considerably from that, uh, where uh, everything's very electronic. Uh, we have access to the Internet. Uh, we have a greater variety of choice for our clients. Uh, we focused on their needs, and we've become very proactive in what we provide in terms of products, services, and solutions. So the, the arc and the evolution in, in the 32 years that I've been here has pretty much been a night and day difference when you compare and contrast the two. And people may not remember as much, or they choose to forget, how much paper was involved in submitting bids and opening bids and so on. And the evaluation of, of uh, solicitations was pretty paper-intensive, too, wasn't it? It was. And, in fact, we had uh, entire wings of the building that were devoted just to storing the files from all of those contracts. Uh, it was uh, incredibly paper-based uh, at that point in time. Uh, we've freed up a lot of space since then, of course, and that's one of the reasons why we're able to bring everybody into the, the GSA headquarters now. Uh, tremendous amount of technology uh, and savings throughout the years from that paper-based project. Sure, and you started, if you said 32 years ago, that was the delegation of procurement authority, Absolutely the Brooks was. Act era. Yes. And uh, tell us some perspective on that and, and how that used to be and how things are different. Uh, during the, the Brooks Act, uh, we were a mandatory service provider unless you got the delegation of procurement authority. Uh, and we, of course, made it as difficult as possible to get the DPA. Uh, eventually, clients would get the DPA, but we would put them through a very rigorous uh, set of procedures to make that happen. Uh, that didn't make for very happy customers, as you can imagine. We weren't very client-focused. Uh, we were a great monopoly, however, uh, with all the great traits of a monopoly, including we were slow and inefficient and focused more on bureaucracy than focused on client missions and needs. Uh, so uh, when the Brooks Act went away and we became non-mandatory, uh, I remember that uh, I was a branch chief at the time, and I had to announce to all of our telecom directors that we were no longer going to be mandatory. Uh, and some of them actually got up and, and were very angry and said, Tom, you have to go up to the hill and change that law back. Uh, of course, I didn't have that authority as a branch chief uh, in GSA to go change laws. I wish I did. Uh, so we had to uh, figure out how to learn and grow and adapt from that. Uh, and the amazing thing was that uh, in less than a year's time, that same workforce that was terrified about uh, living in a non-mandatory environment was able to make that shift, make that change. Uh, and since then, uh, GSA has become much more agile, much more customer-focused. Uh, and frankly, I would never want to go back to those Brook Axe days because uh, uh, a mandatory environment is just not a fun place to be. Uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, the entrepreneurial spirit that we have. I get a lot of enjoyment out of 
figuring out every day how I'm going to meet my client's needs. Uh, you know, so you're living a little bit on the edge when uh, your client can say you're fired. Uh, and I think that that's really what gives us our tactical advantage, uh, always figuring out what do we need to do to help clients enable their missions. Anything from that era that you remember in particular is uh, emblematic of the way things were under the DPAs? Uh, well, so uh, I, was, uh, from the, I came from, from the telecom side, uh, and uh, I remember quite clearly one of our clients saying to me, Tom, I wish you were non-mandatory so I could fire you. And that really is what stuck with me since those times, uh, and frankly glad to be back past those times. So the change from the Brooks Act, I guess you're implying, or I'm guessing, in your view, is probably the biggest legislative change for GSA and acquisition in, that t- in, the, t- in the time you've been here. Certainly uh, for me coming up through that part of GSA, uh, so I was in the old IRMS organization, which eventually morphed into the FTS organization. That certainly was the biggest piece of legislation and, and had the largest, most dramatic impact upon us. Sure, and people got to five cents a minute for long distance on their own, didn't they? Five cents, exactly. So um, it, was a, it was a lot of work as we were uh, uh, pulling together those telecom contracts. And uh, I specifically was in the local telecom program, uh, and we were there uh, when the, the local telecom environment was deregulating. And so we were able to leverage that competition. Back in those days, it was a set of acquisitions called the Metropolitan Area Acquisitions. And we were able to uh, dramatically lower costs for our clients, uh, sometimes uh, five or ten times cheaper than what they were getting themselves on the commercial marketplace. And how do you think the Klinger-Cohen Act changed things? Uh, well, Klinger Cohen Act uh, certainly uh, creating the whole uh, federal CIO structure and things of that nature uh, brought, I think, the high level attention on the program needs for for IT and telecom. So, in that sense, uh, it created a, a holistic way of looking at that set of requirements. Uh, beforehand, everything was uh, pretty piecemeal and disorganized and rather inefficient. So, I think Klinger Cohen was instrumental and putting that focus on IT in government and solidifying that and making it a successful part of our organizations. And I want to talk about the uh, Schedule 70 for a little bit. That's a program that goes back many, many years. Yes, it does. And it has had the same name, but it's really not the same program in many aspects. It's the way it was. It's almost like Flight 1 used to be a DC-3, and now it's a whatever, not a 737 MAX, we hope. But uh, tell us about... Schedule 70, what you've seen evolve there and, and how it got to where it is now? Well, it, uh, it sort of uh, follows the same trajectory as a lot of the multiple award schedules programs. So uh, originally, IT70 was uh, commodity-based uh, and product-based, uh, and that's really how the schedules were designed. Uh, you really saw IT70 uh, take off once services became part of uh, uh, its mix. Uh, and there were some bumps along the way because the schedules really weren't designed originally for services. And so there's, there were some disconnects there in terms of how to provide that to uh, the clients. Uh, but you've seen us work through that. Uh, you've seen things recently such as order-level materials which have been added to it. Uh, you're seeing things such as the mass consolidation. So these are all ways that uh, GSA is trying to respond to that evolution that went from commodities 
to commodities and services, and now to commodities, services, and solutions. And so from FTS to FTS 2000 to FTS 2001 to networks and so on and so on, tell us about what you've seen there. That is to say, has the regulatory environment of the government kept up with the craziness in the telecom market itself? Well, you know, the, the thing about the telecom marketplace is you always seem to be chasing the latest innovation that's happening there. Uh, so uh, when I first started off in GSA, you know, FTS was the free telephone system. That's what people would call it. And that's really what it was. It was just it was voice communication, voice lines, uh, very voice-based. Um, it was after that, that that the data really started coming into play. And eventually the data overshadowed the voice to the point where now you don't really even talk about voice telecom anymore. It, it doesn't exist. Uh, but the product and services mixes changes dramatically over time as well uh, in terms of uh, the transmission speeds that are available, the the data links that are there, the technologies that enable that. So uh, some of the technologies that were around when I was younger in my career are the ones that have already been phased out at this point. And so uh, we're always there trying to be at the forefront. You know, now you have 5G, now you have artificial intelligence, things of that nature. so it's always constantly evolving and changing. Uh, the one thing that never changes, though, is uh, uh, the difficulty of the transitions. Uh, and so I've seen a number of those transitions between those vehicles. Uh, it's always a, a, a big lift to do that. Uh, and you always hope that people use that as the opportunity to not just go like for like, but try to look at what their requirements are uh, and put in place the technologies that will meet that. Um, largely, I think that the client base is doing that for EIS. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves as that transition goes forward. Because you do hear a lot of agencies citing EIS as the foundation for which they'll do a lot of other modernizing. So that must give you some satisfaction, knowing that everything's converged on IP, essentially. We don't have X25, and as you say, we don't have copper voice lines too much anymore. There might be a PBX here and here there. Here and there, <laughs> still, sure. But really, it's it's a uh, it's an internet-based function. Yes. Now, I mean, even in GSA, we still have a, a few of those residual local services agreements, but uh, those are, are quickly becoming a thing of the past. All right. And zooming back out to the FAS larger mission, at uh, one time, as you point out, there was the delegation of procurement authority. Otherwise, we did it. Now, you still do it for those that come to you. And to talk about the range and complexity that maybe people don't fully grasp that FAS is capable of. Yeah, so uh, it, it's quite interesting. You can pretty much acquire just about anything through uh, fast vehicles. Uh, so it's not just uh, IT70. It's not just uh, IT-based uh, products and services and solutions, although we do have a great breadth and depth there as well. Um, For example, if you want to acquire an ambulance, you can do that through the Federal Acquisition Service. Uh, Or you could uh, uh, get furniture, or you can get uh, janitorial supplies. So basically anything that a federal agency would need or want, you can get through uh, a fast vehicle. Uh, And it's a lot more than than you might expect, too. Uh, You think about a military base and all the things that might be necessary on a military base. that's run like a town. So anything a town might need is something that you could get through uh, our, our different vehicles. Uh, I think one of the most eye-opening things that, uh, that I've ever seen is when I participated in, in the various uh, FAST training conferences. Uh, so we have one of those coming up in April, April uh, 
14th through 16th, I believe, in Atlanta, uh, gsagov slash fast, if you want to learn more about that. Uh, walk that training conference exposition. Look at all the different booths that are there. And, and I think it, it's an amazing, eye-opening experience. And that's where you truly see the breadth and depth of everything that FAST offers. And the implication of that, I guess, is that that human touch, seeing and touching and feeling and looking at the vendors and their products, still part of the buying mix, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, because it, it's rather daunting otherwise. We have a catalog of something like 30 million different products and services that are available. And I don't think the human mind can really wrap itself around that until you actually start going out there and looking at things and touching things. And so um, that's why I would recommend anybody to, to come to uh, one of our training conferences and, and see it for themselves. And final question, the role of contractors in the services era, how would you say that's changed? Well, the, it's really uh, changed the same way I think that uh, that fastest changed. Uh, the whole continuum from uh, from focus on commodities and products to services to solutions. And you've seen the GSA vehicles evolve with that. Uh, first, you know, we've seen the changes in the schedules program, uh, ones I've talked about previously, but as well moving into things such as the mass consolidation where we're bringing everything to, to one schedule. Again, the, the addition of order-level materials is, is part of that evolution as well. You see that in the GWAC programs with the, with the initial alliant that was uh, uh, very much services-based and alliant 2, which is <coughs> solutions-based. Uh, you see that in the professional services side with our OASIS. Uh, and so while I'm the acting deputy commissioner, I'm also the permanent assistant commissioner for the assisted acquisition service. Uh, and frankly, OASIS was a game changer for us in AAS. Before that, if we wanted to order a, a professional services solution, we'd have to go to open market and go through all the inefficiencies of going through the open market. OASIS came along, and that's a great tool that we have. So you see that also continuing in the other vehicles that we're now putting in place. So the way that uh, the government has used contractors has changed, and GSA has been there evolving with that. I think not uh, not uh, in a way that was reactive. I think we're pretty proactive in that, in that sphere. And as I've seen in my role in AAS, that's really come forward. Tom Howder, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration, and part of our series, GSA at 70. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.